0: This is the Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk. Here's Melanie Cole. Six Northwestern Medicine hospitals have been recognized by the Human Rights Campaign Foundation for demonstrating a commitment to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer patient-centered care. These hospitals were recognized as leaders in the LGBTQ health care equality, a designation given to only 406 hospitals nationwide. My guests are Gail Crickey. She's the Director of Operations and Primary Care Administration at Northwestern Medical Group, and Allison Boder. She's the Program Director of Diversity and Inclusion in Human Resources at Northwestern Medicine. Ladies, I'm so glad to have you with us, and what a great topic and what a great designation, Allison. I'd like to start with you. The Human Rights Campaign Foundation has recognized six Northwestern hospitals as LGBTQ healthcare equality leaders. What elements make these hospital leaders in LGBTQ healthcare?
1: Thank you. We are really excited to have received this recognition and the HEI is something that measures hospitals in four different areas to either identify you as a leader in um, LGBTQ equality or as a top performer. So those four areas center around non-discrimination and staff training Uh, the services that you provide to your patients, the benefits and policies that you have to support your employees, and how you are engaged with your community and your patients. So a couple of the ways in which we were able to demonstrate best practice um, were a, a variety of methods, but a couple in particular was our ability to begin capturing information within our electronic health record such as a person's chosen pronouns or their gender identity. Uh, Similarly, we were able to demonstrate best practice in our bereavement leave policy and our health care coverage for our employees. And then another method is the way that we um, celebrate pride. So our visibility in the community, as well as our public support of LGBT equality.
0: Such a great designation. And how proud you all must be. So Allison, sticking with you for just a minute speak about some of the unique health care needs of patients in this community and, and some of the barriers to health care and treatment for the LGBTQ community.
1: I would say many members of the LGBTQ community have similar needs to the rest of society, such as we all need annual physicals, or perhaps we're getting other types of preventive screenings, such as for cervical cancer. But there. are historically have been these uh, structural barriers or uh, discriminatory practices that have built this fear within the LGBTQ community to even access care because it hasn't always been considered a safe place to go. Similarly, there's this uh, fear of not having a person who's knowledgeable about the care that a person who is lesbian or is gay or is transgender or queer um, might need, and they feel as though they might become the teacher more than the person seeking the care. Uh, So those are some of the the ways in which it's been difficult when it comes to access care. Uh, the the ways in which we are supporting and are creating this culture of inclusion are things as such as having care for those who are same-sex families that are wanting to uh, start having children. So what? how do we navigate that journey? Um, other ways in which we are supporting the LGBTQ community is care for all stages of the transgender experience. So some people. might be curious as far as what their options are. Maybe it's hormone replacement therapy, or perhaps it's some type of a surgery, such as facial surgery. So there are some unique needs, but then there are also very similar needs that we all have when we're looking for uh, good health care.
2: Allison, I would also add that um, patient safety is also a concern for this community, particularly our patients who are transitioning. Um, so we want to make sure that we, we're not making any assumptions about people when they do indicate that they're transitioning to us. Uh, and that can be a barrier for their care. When someone comes in and you know, a care provider might feel that they know what someone means by, you know, I'm transition, I'm transgender. Um, So really making sure that we're asking those questions and that we understand what it actually means um, for someone who's transitioning or has transitioned and how that then impacts their safety uh, and which tests they might get, which procedures they might get, which questions they might get asked along their care path.
0: Well, thank you so much, both of you, for, for clarifying what Northwestern Medicine Hospitals are doing to meet these unique needs. Gail, One of the efforts that resulted in this recognition is the new option for patients to self-disclose sexual orientation and gender identity information. Tell us a little bit about this project. How did it start and why is it so important?
2: Yes. So this um, project actually was the blending together of two different work areas. Um, So at the time, I was working in quality, and I had been given the task to assess um, disparities in care quality for some of our metrics based on patients' demographic factors. And I quickly realized that, you know, there's some demographics we just don't know about because we don't collect them from patients. So we would never know what the disparity in care quality was without that information. Um, Sort of concurrently to that, Allison was working um, on some of inclusion work and um, was trying to have a better understanding of the sorts of um, patients that we were seeing and the sorts of needs of those patients. And we realized that our projects had the opportunity to come together. Um, so when we found that our projects overlapped, we thought about how could we get the right information about patients, collect that information in a way that would be um, useful to us, I mean, selfishly, our own projects, but also useful to our care providers. Um, so what we understood is that some of this information around patient sexual orientation and gender identity um, may be known um, by clinicians, but they might have put it in a note. Um, They may have not recorded it anywhere in the medical record. And so what that means is that information is usable only to that individual person. It's not available to everyone else who might come in contact with that patient and need to know that same information. So when Allison and I realized that our projects overlapped, um, the project quickly took on a life of its own. Um, and particularly as we realized just how many different um, aspects of care uh, rely on information about patients' identity. Um, So in the way that we we address patients from the moment of admitting to the way that they're addressed by our our housekeeping staff, the way that um, their information is processed by billing, Uh, there's so many different aspects of care um, that rely on this information that we had to pull in um, just a, a tremendous amount of different perspectives into the project. Um, So what we actually did is we pulled in subject matter experts um, from the community and in terms of topics around SOGI, around sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, We pulled in uh, experts about workflows um, happening across our system. So we pulled in people from access, so the people who actually schedule patients. We pulled in people from billing, people um, from clinical care, um, just so A myriad of um, experts in how we actually treat patients. And then we pulled in patients themselves. Um, And to us, that was one of the most important parts, uh, was hearing from the community. uh, So people who are LGBTQ identifying, as well as people who are not, um, because we thought that this is information that we're going to make available to all people. So how um, would our patients react to being asked these questions around sexual orientation and gender identity, whether they, they identified those questions? As being important to them in their personal identity or not. Um, so with that information from um, all those different sources, we got together and we thought about how do we actually build this into our medical record, um, knowing the tools that we had available to us. So we had uh, MyChart, which is an opportunity for patients to self-disclose uh, prior to an appointment. So um, pa- the patients don't even have to be asked a question when they come into the clinic or they come into our hospital. But then there's also the actual EHR that gets completed, the electronic health record that gets completed with the clinician when a patient's being seen in our, um, anywhere in our care system. Um, so we had to make sure that we had ways to collect information both from the patient directly in MyChart and then through through the clinical encounter um, with, say, a physician or a nurse. Um, And so through that process of designing the system, bringing in all that feedback, we had two guiding principles, don't hurt anyone, don't break anything. Um, So that meant we had to understand all of the different ways this information was used and and all the different ways we could break workflows um, if we changed the way um, we collected information around patient's um, sex
0: or their gender identity. Wow, what a great benefit to patients, and and I'm sure that it's improved care tremendously. Allison, are other health systems allowing patients to do this? Why did Northwestern Medicine decide to make this system a wide initiative?
1: Right, this is something that we had recently uh, aligned all of our, we're a health system of 10 hospitals and several physician groups, and we had recently aligned on one electronic health record the way in which we can collect this information needs to be standardized across our entire health system rather than it just originating or occurring in one area. So, for example, we couldn't have it just happen in our emergency department or within one type of clinic. And as Gail elaborated, we put so much thought and effort into thinking about its impact at any stage of the care process that a person could be encountering, whether it's for one visit or subsequent visits that they seek health care frequently. So we did look into other best practices. We talked to people throughout the United States to better understand, are you collecting this information? And if you are, how are you collecting it? And when do you do it? And are you training on this? So we really wanted to go in eyes wide open to better understand what are others doing? And what we learned from it is, yes, others are collecting This information, but not all of them, uh, or at least any at this point that I'm familiar with, are doing it across their entire health system. And they are, um, what we learned is that it's very unique depending upon the hospital or the physician group or the clinic as far as how they collect it. It has to be, uh, it has to work within your the processes that that you use in your facility and um also the resources that you have available for your patients and for your staff so they we learned much from talking to others that there's really not a one-size-fits-all approach that you need to look in different ways at how you can make this work within your organization. And so the journey that we went on really helped us to think through how do we create a patient-centered approach, which is why we chose using MyChart, where it puts the patient in control of giving us that information, and then it's directly communicated to those that will be caring to for them. Uh, but then also providing the opportunity that if it's somehow discussed during your visit then our um, our employees such as our physicians our nurses have the ability to document that and it's a good signal that we are a welcoming and affirming environment just because we're being able to ask that information and then, um, th- then it stays with your uh, medical records so then you don't have to repeat it to others whenever you're navigating
2: your uh, visits. And I would like to add to what Allison said and just say that one of the reasons that um, a lot of health systems haven't done this yet is it's just very complicated because of all the downstream effects, um, all the impacts of changing the way you collect this information. And we learned that very quickly when we went through the project. So, for example, um, thinking about billing, a patient's legal sex gets used for billing purposes. So if you were to not collect their legal sex and collect, say, their, um, you know, their sex at birth instead, uh, you wouldn't be able to bill a patient uh, without that being rejected. Or um, another option or, or thought is that, um, you know, a patient's, uh, you know, their lab values coming back may be impacted by their sex at birth or the, if they've transitioned the sex that they are now because of some of the hormone treatments they've had. So just thinking through those little pieces like that of who uses this information for what and who uses the information outside of our own healthcare system. Is it an insurer? Is it another healthcare system that doesn't collect this information? Is it a lab that's outside of our own system? Um, You know, patients don't just come to our own hospital. So we had to think about how are all of the other systems collecting information about patients? And if we change the way we collect patient information, is that gonna end up causing more, more complication for patients down the road? Are we solving one problem to create another? So we felt that, you know, with all of the information we collected about who was collecting this, how do you collect this? um, We had thought about many of the different ways that other organizations were going to use the information we collected um, so that we weren't, in a sense, creating more problems for patients.
0: It's so interesting, and and what a great program that you ladies have. So, Allison, as we wrap up, tell us a little bit about the training and resources that are available to employees to better prepare them to meet the needs of this patient population and what programs are in place to benefit employees who are in the LGBTQ community.
1: So, one thing that we've done a good job of recognizing is that this is really a journey from just better understanding of why this is important, why our employees need to know that providing quality, safe quality care to members of the LGBTQ community is important, yet there are some, some differences that we need to better understand, that, um, such as what Gail was talking about before is how do we better understand the disparities in care? We, we know, um, historically speaking, some of the stigmas, the stereotypes, the discrimination, the things that prevent people from accessing care uh, we also need to better understand what does that look like when somebody comes into our uh, our facilities. And so we've started the conversation, which I think is an excellent step in the right direction, but we wanted to really customize an approach that uh, was unique to the way in which a person experiences their care here at Northwestern and the the. Uh, kind of embedding it into the processes that we use as clinical employees or administrative employees here, uh, rather than taking kind of an off-the-shelf training. So one example uh, is we had a speaker come this past week, actually, to talk about courageous conversations. So an example would be, hi, my name is Allison Boder. I'm Program Director, Diversity and Inclusion, and my pronouns are she, her, hers what are yours? And that's a courageous conversation. The other thing to recognize is that we all have a sexual orientation, which is who we're attracted to. We all have a gender identity. However, not all of us understand why it's important whenever we're seeking health care, receiving any type of health services. But in some ways, it it is very important. So how me as a nurse or me as a therapist or as an x-ray technologist, Is it relevant and important? And how do I use it to sensitively communicate with someone? So that's why we're embarking on better understanding these courageous conversations. Uh, Before that, we did do some fundamental training on just the 101 fundamentals. What does the umbrella term LGBTQ mean? lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer questioning. And what are the pronouns that are common that people are using? Because we've evolved from the binary pro- pronouns. So aside from he, him, and she, her, we've now taken it to they, them, ze, are, and it continues to be more fluid even beyond that. So I think to just building more awareness around the fluidity whenever it comes to some of the terminology that's used and how to have um, dignified respectful and sensitive conversations with our patients as well as interacting in diverse teams is uh, some of the ways in which we're really trying to champion this effort the second is how we're supporting our employees uh, i mentioned that uh, there are other there are different types of policies and our health benefits that are supportive to members of the LGBTQ community. But another good example is we put a simple request out to our workforce. Who wants to become an LGBTQ champion? And we didn't really tell them what being an LGBTQ champion meant. Um, and, And the Back behind that was, I didn't actually know. <laughs> I wanted to better find out who wanted to be involved. And so with just one simple communication that we put out internally, we had over 500 people respond. And we actually even had more people respond this past week, whenever we had our courageous conversations talk. So that number continues to grow. What we've learned is that these individuals want to be involved in many different ways that will be not only reflected in our. Um, in in the care that we provide to deliver on our patient's first mission, it will also be reflected in how we collegially work together as a team. So they want to be involved in cultural humility training. They want to be involved in the community. And Ultimately and most enthusiastically want to celebrate pride not only here within our four walls But let's get out there and a good example of that was our participation in the chicago pride parade which we partnered with northwestern university and Feinberg school of medicine, so we uh, created a sea of purple there and we were really really excited to um, show the uh, members of the lgbtq community that We um, are here for you. We're welcoming you. And we might make mistakes with using the incorrect pronoun. And we um, might ask a question that could seem insensitive. But what we're doing right now is learning how to avoid that and how to recover from it if for some reason we had a a slip up. And so I would say um, that that's something that we've learned through our talks that Gail had mentioned with Um, our patients and with um, other leading hospitals and just um, different people who represent the LGBTQ community, that those things happen and it's okay. Uh, Don't belabor on it and move on. And so I think that being able to recognize that that happens um, gives us an opportunity to not only learn, but to make sure that just because of that, it doesn't mean that we, we don't want to care for you. We still um, we want to be able to have you here
2: because it's like you're entering our home when you come to Northwestern.
0: So beautifully put. And Gail, last word to you. What would you like to add?
2: I would just say that through this entire journey, one thing that has not been lost on us is if we're going to be asking people for this information, then they entrust us with this information. We have to live up to the expectations that we're setting for our patients, that we will use it. We will be respectful with the information you give us and that, you know, we're going to do what we need to do to get better, um, as Allison was talking about, you know, with how do we use this information and make NM a welcoming place for all members of the community, including our LGBTQ um, patients.
0: Thank you both ladies so much for coming on and telling us about the designation and about the the really specific things that Northwestern Medicine is doing to help this community. That wraps up this episode of Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk. For more information on the latest advances in medicine, head on over to our website at nm.org for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. If you found this podcast as inspirational and as informative as I did, please share with your friends and family. Share on your social media and be sure not to miss all the other interesting podcasts in our library. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole.